TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's the Score North Twin Show. All right, welcome into the Score North Twin Show. We have a very special guest uh, joining us, the outstanding MLB.com beat writer for the Twins, Joe Young Park. Uh, Joe, how are you doing today? Uh, feeling a lot better now that you've called me a very special guest, Jake. Oh, yeah. uh, don't uh, don't hear that kind of thing all too often. It's a great thing to hear as we get back into baseball and as I uh, wake up for this podcast and uh, try to dive right back into the season. It's just good to have baseball to talk about again, to be honest. Absolutely. And though the last time you were on the podcast was uh, late February, we did it from the press box in, in uh, Fort Myers and everything's pretty much been normal since then, right? Not a lot to, to report. Oh yeah, no, definitely. The, the, the like five years since we did that podcast have really flown by. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I want to get into a number of different topics with you. Obviously baseball's back and, and even though uh, there are some obvious uh, hiccups that uh, still need to be resolved or I don't know if we want to call them hiccups even, but there are some issues, but, but baseball is back and we're hearing the, the crack of the bat and, and we're watching uh, guys take BP and, 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 uh, you know, pitchers working out and it, it feels good to just see that video, right? It, it brings some normalcy. And I know for you sitting in the, in the press box, I'm sure it's been great to, to be back at target field. Um, I guess we'll start with just sort of what the environment is like at target field. It's obviously much different, uh, than it's ever been. And, and, uh, so if you could just kind of take us through sort of what things look like at Target Field, how you, what access looks like for you as a media member, um, how the team is conducting workouts, uh, just kind of take us through a, a typical day of, of, of Twins workouts uh, throughout the first couple of days of camp. Yeah, it's, I don't, I don't think funny is the right word, but it's jarring, just like it was uh, at the end of the normal spring training period, or at least how a lot of us felt at the end of the normal spring training period, because a lot of it feels like disconcertingly normal right now given that you can watch dudes taking fielding practice uh you can hear the crack of the bat like you said um and these are obviously very not normal times in which we live um and that kind of juxtaposition of the bizarre and the mundane i think is that's frankly really just a 2020 thing i guess it's yeah. kind of fitting the fitting of 2020 given how everything is gone we got like the plague coming up now too and that's apparently a thing again i I don't even know, man. But uh, as, as far as the target field goes, let me just kind of walk you through what it's like for us. So normally we're allowed in um, at a variety of gates around the ballpark, but now they've shuttled all the traffic through like the lot where all the players and uh, like staff members of the stadium park. So that's off Twins Way. And we enter through the ballpark operations center, which is where the loading dock is. So there they have like the health checkpoints. So we have to sign off on a little health like paperwork every every time we go into the ballpark where they zap us with the temperature gun and then uh, assuming we don't have a fever um, of like 100 or more uh, we also have to answer this questionnaire it's like have you traveled in the last 14 days in the last 14 days have you had any of these symptoms like cough fever uh, abdominal pain have you been diarrheal because they apparently they want to know that too um, and like if you only if you answer no to all these things you can get in and as for us, they limit us specifically to from that ballpark operation center area, which is on floor minus two at Target Field. We are allowed to check in, grab our daily credential, walk over to the elevator, go up and go right to the press box and go nowhere else in the ballpark. 
Um, they're really trying to, we're defined as tier three employees um, where players are tier one, players and staff are tier one and any um, support staff members that need to interface directly with the players are considered tier two. So tier one and tier two operate in their own bubble. We're tier three. We're allowed into the ballpark, but we stay separate of them. So how things have been working on the players end at least is they're spreading out around the ballpark because obviously they had six fields available to them and a wealth of space down in Fort Myers um, at the Center Lake Complex. They don't have that here. They've got one, they have one field to work with and an abbreviated, not just an abbreviated time, uh, but yeah, the abbreviated space as well. So they've really got to be compact while trying to distance as much as possible. Um, So they've got like, live BP and base running drills and fielding drills all going on at the same time on the field, which is something you really wouldn't see um, during normal spring camp where live BP is generally kind of its own thing and coaches can focus on just the hitter pitcher interactions and that sort of thing. But now when you got live BP, you've got dudes standing on all three bases, taking their leads, timing their jumps, reading pitchers, that sort of thing. You got fielders out in the field, uh, practicing their jumps, practicing their reads on balls, fielding whatever comes their way. Um, so there's a lot of moving pieces happening. Um, as far as player movement goes, they get to the ballpark. They've got them split into two clubhouses, right? So the home clubhouse is the hitters. Visiting clubhouse is the pitchers. Don't know what the pitchers did to draw the short straw there. Uh, but they all have, like, their spaces out on the field. To con- they're encouraged to be in the clubhouse as little as possible. So they come in, they check in, they get chains, and then they immediately go outside. And they have areas around the ballpark. Like, there's an area up in the concourse down in the uh, first base side up in the corner where they have, like, turf set up. They have training tables there. That's where the plyo ball work is done. That's where they have, like, the the medicine balls that they can use to stretch and work out and that sort of thing and kind of lounge around up there, too. And, uh, yeah, other than that, they've got that area. They've got the bullpens. They've got the field. And they eat food in the Champions Club because it's an area area. It's a lot different from uh, anything we've seen before, obviously. But it seems like the guys are adjusting to it all right. I mean, we're still in the first few days, so it's still going to be jarring for a while. But on our end with the media, I think we've kind of adjusted to it pretty quickly. I was telling you before we started this that uh, it's a pretty spaced out press box. because only a handful of us are there every day, which set a lot of us at ease too. And um, it looks like the players um, have settled into a rhythm, for better or worse, because, I mean, they're creatures of routine. They're creatures of habit. Um, and the only... And it, it looks like with the spacing, with the masks and everything, like none of the guys have said that indicated that it's been an issue or a barrier in any way. And I think they all understand what's on the line here, what they need to do to make sure the season, at least the, their part to make sure the season happens in as effectively as it can. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Uh, obviously there've been a number of players uh, who have expressed concern about the season and, and whether it's going to be safe. Uh, we've seen Mike Trout, you know, who's expecting a baby in August come out and say he's, he still has concerns. We've seen a number of players opt out. David Price just opted out. Nick Markakis today announced that he was opting out. Um, it, as much as it's great, for, you know, to be back at the ballpark for you, and I'm sure that it is, I'm, you have concerns just like everybody else, I, I'm sure, and, and it's more than understandable. What is your personal opinion on – whether MLB can pull this off. I mean, do you, do you feel like there are going to be too many hurdles to, to jump over? Do you think that this can successfully happen and we can have a full season and full postseason? I mean, personally, throughout the whole period of quarantine and um, just even, even as we got heard the startup plans of, uh, of baseball's plans to resume, I've personally been, um, 
don't know if skeptical is the right word, but I've definitely been measured in my enthusiasm just because logistically speaking and just seeing how the kind of the dynamics of baseball have gone over the last few months. And I think a couple of players have kind of expressed this feeling publicly. Um, you see on social media too. It feels like we spent a lot of time on the discourse surrounding money and the labor agreement, or at least the patchwork labor agreement that is just kind of slapped on right now, like a bandaid. Um, and not enough on the actual issue at hand, the actual crux of the matter, which is this disease that has killed 130,000 Americans right now and counting right. And, with no real signs that we've got this under control moving forward. Um, I look around and say, and see uh, the MLS, for example, they're in a bubble, they're in a bubble and they still have, um, I guess, community transmission suspected among not just their Dallas team, but I I believe Nashville also reported yesterday, a couple of players um, that have been held out for whatever, for COVID related reasons. And so I see that happening in a bubble and I'm like, well, we're trying to do this in, we're trying to do this in 28 different cities um, with players traveling. And this isn't an MLS side. Like this is a whole cohort of 60 players that are in each city um, with the, all the associated staff members, just logistically, it seemed like it was going to be a gargantuan task to me to make sure this happened responsibly. And you saw Mike Trout raising the issues like, well, why are players allowed to leave their hotel rooms on the road? and that sort of thing. And I, I think it's a combination of both the uh, news cycle moving, having moved on in a lot of people's minds, so to speak from in baseball, from COVID to the labor relations. And it's kind of tough for people to phase back into the COVID side. I think that's frankly just how how it worked around America in general, where you had the pandemic fatigue um, and then all the protests and um, racial equity issues around the country flared up and kind of seized the news cycle it's tough to go back to give the COVID pandemic the gravity that it deserves um, as we treat this. I think there's, I, I predict there's going to be some reckoning to be had here, especially now that we have higher profile, higher profile players, not just opting out, but testing positive. I mean, Miguel Sano, um, thank God he's asymptomatic, but he's a big name. He's an all-star. Um, you have Freddie Freeman actually showing symptoms, you know, Freddie Gonzalez, uh, Mark, Brian Snicker, Braves managers all over the place. Uh, Ryan Snickers said that they don't expect, they probably don't expect Freeman back for a few weeks. Um, you have Sal Perez testing positive. And I mean, I don't, I just don't have a sense for what the breaking point will be here and how much acceptable risk is, how much risk is acceptable. It feels weird to say acceptable risk because these are guys health that we are, that we are trying to consider here. I mean, is there an acceptable risk? I don't know. Just because there's so little we understand about, the long-term ramifications of this virus as far as it comes, as far as it concerns like clotting, um, blood, lungs, heart, kidneys, that sort of thing. So I've been personally conflicted about that. And I don't know what these next few weeks, next few months are going to look like for the league, frankly. Um, like I said, I've been very measured in my confidence um, throughout this whole process, I think from March on. Um, and I think there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered, not just in the immediate future, but just moving forward as a whole. Absolutely. And I, you hit on a lot of great points. I think Sean Doolittle, who's, who's one of the, in my opinion, one of the you know, better spoken players in the league and has been really vocal about these issues, basically said, you know, sports is, he said this yesterday, sports is, is the reward for a functioning society, I think is how he phrased it. 
Yeah. Uh, and what he's basically alluding to is that we don't have this anywhere near under control in this country, right? I mean, the United States has, uh, there have been a lot of issues in, in how we've responded to this and, and the, the measures that we have or have not taken. And that's showing up right now uh, as, as, you know, cases continue to spike in lots of areas around the country. And you compare that to, well, like the KB, you know, South Korea, right? I mean, the KBO is, has uh, been able to play their season, not, not without a hitch because there have been players that have tested positive, but it seems yeah. like things are going well there. And, and, I think there, it's reasonable to assume that there's a correlation between how that country has handled, uh, you know, the pandemic versus how our country has. So um, I, I thought Doolittle's point was a good one. But, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. I, I don't think anyone can predict at this point. I think everyone is reasonable, you know, it's reasonable to be concerned. And I certainly don't blame any players for, for opting out. Um, but I want to talk a little baseball because, and this is a hard thing to do, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to make these transitions. And I know that, that you have to deal with this every day, right? From reporting on, on this deadly virus, uh, you know, that, that everybody's at risk for and, you know, weighing that with, uh, you know, reporting on actual baseball and, and how things are going with the team. And, and it, right. there's no way to make that transition smoothly. So we'll just, we'll just make an awkward transition and, and live with it. But, uh, <laughs> It goes back to that weird juxtaposition I talked about earlier. Like, there's uh, there's elements of normalcy here, and there's elements of what are we doing here? Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, just in terms of on the field baseball uh, related matters, I, obviously the team's only been working out for for a few days. But what have it been your your sort of early impressions from summer camp? It looks like they really haven't skipped a beat. Um, I think. There, a lot of the questions in my mind, at least, were how will guys actually stay not just in shape but in baseball condition uh, throughout this three plus months, uh, as, just because of the decentralized nature of it all when they split camp, right? They had guys, uh, a few guys hung around the uh, Fort Myers facility. Um, I think a few of the Latin guys did, like uh, Luis Arise and uh, Joan Duran. And I was there, um, and, you know, I think a couple of the guys like Polanco also drifted in and out of that complex to do their work. But a lot of guys went home. You had guys working out in pairs like Taylor Rogers and Griffin Jacks at home in the Denver area. Jake Odorizzi and Tyler Clippard were kind of quarantined together in the Tampa area. Um, and you, you just don't know. what I mean, the Twins tried to make sure that they stayed really closely in touch with all these guys, but I did, I personally had no idea what to expect until I saw them with my own eyes and they look good. They really do. I mean, uh, from, we've seen a handful of pitchers throw live BP sessions. Every, everything that's come back from those is all the feedback seems pretty good. They passed the eye test for sure. Uh, Jose Barrios came in with a velocity of 95, 96, which is about as good as he ever gets, you know? And uh, Rocco's big messaging with his pitchers in particular is that they seem to be here ahead of the condition that he and Wes Johnson expected to see them in, which is definitely a good sign. And the other good sign he got here is that, especially early on in camp, because pitchers can stay on their programs, right? Pitchers are the players that dictate the action, so they can do all of their part. They can pitch um they they can like some of them have been able to face live hitters but they can still go max effort as they warm up for hitters you can't really do that because you're reactionary you're by definition reactionary so you can't be preparing for the season in any real meaningful reactionary way unless you're able to see pitching which only a handful of them have been able to do 
With, so, so I was expecting the pitchers to be pretty far ahead of the hitters when we showed up. But honestly, good contact. The sound of the bat is loud. Even in live BP, the hitters are shooting the ball hard all over the place. I think some elements of that are pitchers obviously still working on things. But when you see Eddie Rosario crank two homers to the upper deck and A. Ray Adrianza take Sean Coppin deep, you're like, okay. You know, they, they stayed in pretty decent condition. And obviously Nelson Cruz, even still at like age 75 or whatever it is, he's popping balls into the third deck. And like that batting practice group of like Donaldson, Cruz, Marwin, Polanco, it's a treat to watch, man. Um, they are in a lot better condition and like baseball readiness than even I could have thought of, I think, leading into this three-week period. I think they really all did a great job on the personal level staying in touch um, with uh, with the staff and keeping themselves accountable. Um, and you even see, like, Randy Dobnak, he shows up. He's skinny now. I don't know how that happened. But Randy Dobnak, is, he's, like, skinnier. He's got a big leg kick now. I don't know. Quarantine changes a man's life, man. <laughs> but uh, it, the, every, everybody talks about the best shape of their lives uh, when uh, we start normal spring training periods. But it looks like guys have showed up ready to work, and they've really hit the ground running. Yeah, and – and you mentioned the pitchers and how good they look. And one of the pitchers I'm most intrigued by is Rich Hill uh, because he's yeah. a guy that the Twins signed for really the second half and, and hopefully the, the postseason in their mind. You know, uh, he wasn't going to be ready until late June or July. And now they're going to get him for, for the entire year, and, or at least presumably. Um, and in my mind, you know, the rotation is looking really good when you, you know, the top four of Barrios, Hill, uh, Kenta Maeda and Jake Odorizzi and then fill in, you know, either Homer Bailey or, or Dobnik or, or somebody else for the number five spot. But that yeah. rotation is looking really solid. Um, what have you seen out of Rich Hill, again, in your limited exposure, uh, small sample size uh, over the last couple of days? It was great, man. That's the, that was the big difference when we, uh, when we showed up on day one back on, I think it was Friday that when we were first allowed into the ballpark. I walk into the press box, clear the temperature check, get my credential, trudge on up to my old seat. I look down and it's and I immediately see Rich freaking Hill like throwing max effort like pull downs and in right field as he warms up for a bullpen session. I'm like, that's new. That's nice. Uh, he looks good. He really does look good. Um, Twins. The Rocco says he looks great. Falvey is thrilled with how Rich has come through this uh, has come through this quarantine period and has uh, proceeded with his recovery. And uh, we watched him do those pull-downs. Looks like no discomfort. Looks like he's, he just looks like his normal self. I uh, kept eyes on his bullpen session. Looked good. Good snap on his curveball. I suspect that when we go in today, today being Monday when we're recording this podcast, I think today might be the day that he would throw live BP based on how things have gone. Because they had um, Barrios throw Friday. Odo through Saturday, Maeda through yesterday. So I presume if you're keeping guys on a five-day schedule, he'll slots into that four right now. So at least my expectation is that we'll probably see how that curveball plays again in live today, and we might have a better sense for what the velo looks like on the fastball coming off that arm surgery. But everybody's just glowing about how Rich has come through this. I mean, uh, Rocco has essentially said, like, you cannot give the guy enough credit for the work that he did. Um, and, and you will never get Rocco to firmly commit to anything. He will never make a firm prediction in public, but he made about the strong, the most strongly worded language as it pertains to a player's injury rehab. I've heard in some time when he was like, 
I would not be surprised if we saw him out there on opening day with the team. Wow. <laughs> like, okay, you know, that's, uh, that's not something you hear Rocco say all too often. So it goes to figure that, yeah, I expect Rich Hill to be ready and he passes the eye test. Hopefully he'll continue to do so whenever we see him pitch live BP. And uh, everybody can't say enough good things about the old man. It's, it's a good place to be. So what, in terms of, of their opening day roster, obviously we're going to start with 30. Each team is going to yep. start with 30. And, and it's so hard to predict because already in yeah. Asadio and Sano test positive. So, you know, who knows if they'll be on the opening day roster? Who knows, you know, who will test positive between now and July 24th? But Before we move uh, on, by the way, speaking of that, yeah. Rocco did say that Asadio and Sano, yesterday he said that they're still doing very well. And with them and with Byron Buxton, who's tracking behind and whenever he's able to join, he said that he doesn't expect that any of them will need an extended period of time before they join the team. Um, so it seems like a pretty optimistic outlook on those fronts too. All fingers crossed, knock on wood, obviously, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. No. Yeah. That's definitely great to hear. And it, it's, and it does just to get back to the virus for a second, it shows how unpredictable it is because a guy like Freddie Freeman, we've seen, you know, who has pretty significant symptoms, you know, his wife posted on social media a couple of days ago that he had a high fever and chills. And, um, and I think we were talking before we started airing and you, and uh, Brian Sitker said uh, that they didn't expect him back for several weeks. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, it's just, you just never know how somebody's going to react to it, but, but yeah, so getting back to, to the opening day roster, let's assume Sano and Asadio are, are back and, and healthy and that, you know, fingers crossed, nobody else tests positive. We don't have to go through, obviously, all 30 guys, but how do you expect the breakdown to be in terms of number of pitchers versus number of hitters? Because I would think that they would carry, you know, more pitchers than hitters, especially early on, as guys are still, uh, you know, getting ramped up and, and, and ready to go for the season. I think I want to tentatively say like 16, 14 pitchers, hitters. Yeah. I think um, I think the presence of Nelson Cruz on the roster since he can't play the field um, is a restriction in that sense. Um, he's just a permanent DH, right? You're not going to get any flexibility out of him. So you do have to consider that. Um, and like I said, I worry about the condition of the hitters more than I do about the pitchers in general as we go in because I think it's easier for – pitchers to mimic their game effort and game condition um especially since like if you're a fielder you're not going out there and like doing nine innings worth of work on the field you know so i i i wonder if the twins are going to need a deeper bench than usual obviously over the course of the season it's going to be in their best interest to just crank out their like best guys as often as they can um, but I think 16-14, especially because I don't know what to expect from this uh, starting rotation, and I think you're going to have to buttress that as much as you can. Um, I worry less about the bullpen, but in terms of like long relief arms in particular, just in case your starters aren't 100% where you want them to be, I think you probably want like three-ish of those guys just to be ready to back up your uh, back up your guys when needed. I think three or four, yeah, if, if, if you go five-man rotation, eight-man, eight-man bullpen and then like a couple, two or three swingman type deals that gets you up to 16. I think that's a pretty solid place to be looking right now. So who do you expect some of the guys to sort of who, – who's going to be on that bubble from a pitching standpoint? Because I look at guys like – I think Dobnik is, is probably pretty secure, but maybe guys like Smelter, Thorpe uh, would be candidates for that sort of swingman role. Um, who do you anticipate sort of having to make the team in summer camp versus, you know, having a roster spot assured? Um, I think it's just about everybody in that tweener starter group that you mentioned. I think it's that group of um, 
Dobnak, Smeltzer, Thorpe, Poppin, and uh, Jolie Chassin. Um, I think Matt Wizzler is probably also a bubble guy. Um, I he's don't. He's got a guaranteed contract, though, right? Well, he has a guaranteed contract, but the way his contract is structured is actually it incentivizes him to accept a. It incentivizes him to accept a non active roster assignment the way I understand it because he's guaranteed much more than the he's guaranteed like far more than the typical minor league salary um and he's on 40 and he's got the guaranteed money so I think uh, I think that's how it was explained to us in spring training like they weren't worried about the about the guaranteed money and the contract issues as far as it came to Whistler when it came to um, possibly moving him to the moving him off the active roster if needed. Okay. Um, so I think he's a bubble guy. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Cody Stashak, um, whenever he returns from paternity leave, I've always considered him to be more or less a lock. I think, um, yeah, they really scouts that I've talked to really like him. I mean, obviously he did everything he could to stay on the team and pitched really darn well last year. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's that group of swimman type guys, and I'm really intrigued to see what comes of that in particular I think like I think the biggest question that we are gonna have to feel out over the course of this camp is what they're gonna do with all these starters um they the idea of a six-man rotation it's I think has been floated a lot in the media especially since Chassin exists and Chassin obviously is a veteran um is somebody who you can establish with some degree of baseline of presence he's got a ton of service time under his belt you generally know what you're going to expect from the guy. At the same time, my question then is, in a two-months-and-change season, do you really want to have to deal with a six-man rotation and getting your guys off of five-day rhythm for some period of time and then force them all to adjust back? I've never pitched. I don't know. That seems like it would be an issue to me, at least, um, just in terms of timing and habits-wise in a season where timing and habits are really going to be tough for anybody to find um are they gonna piggyback starters like are they gonna pair Dobnak with somebody smelter with somebody i could see that happening especially in the case of somebody like rich hill um who i think it makes a ton of sense to pair him with somebody like Dobnak, just to uh with the health considerations in mind and just to make sure that uh, arms aren't being stretched out too much i think a lot of it's going to depend on how the top guys so that's the odorizzi's the Berrioses, and the maidas of the world how many innings they've got in their arm at the start of the season if Wes is only comfortable with them going four or five, I think the piggy, I think piggybacking is going to have to be a thing. If, uh, if Rios can get up to like seven innings, that's less of a big deal. But um, I'm curious to see like what the composition of the bullpen and the pitching staff as a whole is going to look like. How many swingmen, how many normal, more traditional relievers a la Matt Whistler are going to be on the roster, that sort of thing. That's what I'm, that's my biggest curiosity. And obviously this all has the big asterisk of depending on whatever happens with the testing moving forward, which I think has to be tacitly considered for everything we discuss right now. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I think one of the most interesting parts of this whole summer camp, uh, you know, thing that they're doing is that there's a separate site, right? At CHS field where the saints normally play. And that's, there's no media access, right? That's no, no. We are we. I think if we, yeah, I probably. I think they probably put a barbed wire to stop Lavelle from getting in. Yes, yes. I could see Lavelle trying to climb the fence and uh, and and get a, a sneak peek at uh, Royce Lewis <laughs> and and uh, Kirilov. But um, we've seen a couple of prospects at least show up to sort of the big league version of the camp, and one of them is Ryan Jeffers. Jeffers yeah. is a guy that that really intrigues me. He's got a lot of pop. 
put up good numbers uh, in the minors last year. Uh, he, he could be a guy that, um, as a catcher, uh, makes his debut this year. Obviously, he's third, I would think, on the depth chart behind Garver and Alex Vila. But um, what have you seen from Jeffers so far, and do you think he could potentially make his debut this season? I think in a normal season, the answer to, the, to your latter question would absolutely have been yes. Um, in a normal season, I think I was expecting Jeffers to probably come up sometime like July, August, maybe a September call or something like that. But I did expect to see him at some point. And the way they've treated him, both in spring training 1.0 and in summer camp, Phil Miller wants to call it summer jam. I think that's too festive given the circumstances. So I'm going to keep stick with summer camp. Uh, everything they've done with him indicates that they really do view him as a part of this team in the immediate future. Like when Barrios threw his first live BP session on Friday, it was Jeffers that was catching it. And Jeffers has been right there with Garver and Avila and everything that they've done. Obviously there's an, there's like the consideration of, well, Astudio is not in camp right now. So they do need a third catcher to handle all of these uh, problems, but he's hitting with the big boys. He's, uh, he's plopping some baseballs into the upper deck. I've seen that the ball's really loud coming off his bat. And he's just a, he's a physical specimen. Dude is massive. Dude is a, uh, dude is a unit in the parlance of those in my generation, Jake, our degeneration below yours. Uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, everything, everything you see with the bat, obviously that's going to speak for itself. They obviously still think highly of his defense. I don't know if we'll see him in 2020. I really don't just cause he's, clo- he's close, but I don't, as far as the baseline goes, I think you take baseline over upside in a shortened season. Just because variance swings a team's results more in a season like this. So I think you want the surest thing that you can, which I think beyond the three catchers on the roster is probably Tomas Talese, who wow. uh, was a triple-A catcher most of last season. Yeah. And he's got, a, he's got a good amount of MLB service time. So yeah. I wonder, I think that's going to be the decision if, knock on wood, that decision happens hopefully it's not needed, but if the Twins do need to dig into catching depth, I think one of the bigger questions that we'll see is, do you take Talese or do you take Jeffers? And I think there are good arguments to be made for both, and I don't know, but I can say, like I said, that Ryan Jeffers is functionally being treated as a major leaguer, as far as I can tell in these camps, and I think he's earned that. What other prospects are in the big league version of, uh, of summer camp. So Royce Lewis, Kirilov, Larnick, they're all over at CHS field. Is that yeah, I haven't even seen them. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I haven't even seen Rooker in target field camp, but it seems like Rooker is going to be part of the St. Paul group too. Um, frankly, prospect wise, I haven't seen anybody. Um, I think Jeffers is the only one it's uh, they've got mostly the guys that they expect to impact the major league team. Um, and are competing for the opening day roster in Minneapolis at this time. And um, I never expected any prospects to be part of that conversation anyway, frankly. And I, I only think Jeffers is here because the Twins need a third catcher as part of that for now, too, um, yeah. for all the work that they're happening, that, that, they're, uh, that they're doing right now. Um, but, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really seen anybody else. I think the Twins are probably going to try to avoid digging into the, uh, the top prospects as much as possible this season, in my mind. Um, so this doesn't really come as much of a surprise to me. But we've seen more of like the uh, the veteran depth types. I, I I don't know his batting stance, so I can't say this for sure. But I believe I saw Talese at Target Field yesterday hitting. 
Um, we see we saw Caleb Thielbar throw here the other day. Um, Jorge Alcala, I guess he's a prospect. He threw here the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think. I think that's about it, honestly. It's mostly been the uh, the Jolie's Chassin type uh, veteran non-roster guys that have been here that we didn't expect to see here among the group that I didn't expect on 30 man. And that speaks to the difference between the twins and maybe somebody like a team like the Tigers or the Royals who might have more prospects, uh, you know, because the the twins are obviously trying to win and have a lot invested in the season. And so they probably would go to a Talese before they went to to somebody like a Ryan Jeffers. But I do want to talk prospects just a little bit more Uh, specifically uh, Jordan and I always butcher the last name, Balazovic. I think it's Balazovic. Balazovic. So yeah. he did not get an invite to, yeah. to the, the St. Paul version of, of summer camp, which surprised me uh, because we see, we see Lewis, we see Kirloff, Larnick, Rooker. Obviously, Balazovic is a little bit farther away from the, further away from the big leagues, but uh, has Falvey or Levine or anybody commented on why he's not in Minnesota? Because I would think they'd want to get a look at him and, and sort of track him. We haven't asked about it specifically, but. I think they considered, again, the roster considerations as their primary motivator, yeah. far above and beyond anything to do with uh, prospect development. Um, I think that group of um, – I, I, I think Balazovic is slightly ahead of Wayne Enlow, but I think those are two guys that kind of were at that uh, Fort Myers-Pensacola boundary last year that really could have gone either way. I'm not surprised, though, just because of the roster considerations where – you had veteran options available, like uh, your Danny Coulomb and your uh, uh, Caleb Fieldbar and Ryan Garton, and uh, to an extent, Sam Clay. I'm sure I'm forgetting one in there too. But um, development is one thing. I think the Twins do feel confident in their ability to program remotely with especially their top guys. And I think the shape in which pitchers and position players showed up to target field also does speak to that a certain extent too. Like the way they were able to maintain those guys pretty effectively from afar. Um, But they're really just trying to win, man. Um, And I think they just kind of ran out of spots. I'm sure Balazovic would have been next up or one of the first two out um, in in those conversations. But I think there's definitely a roster squeeze And I do think, too, he is part of that group that I was expecting to see in 2020, but he's also tracking behind them. And it's certainly – it would have done more harm to possibly have to push his clock up by a year and have him take up a roster spot that they really – in which they really wouldn't want to see him in the major leagues like that much more quickly than expected anyway as opposed to just kind of letting him soak for another year and just having him the better version of him ready next year. I think that's probably the calculus there. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Um, so the Twins obviously have a bevy of, of talented outfielders, not just their, their all-star starters. Um, well, actually, I guess none of their starters have technically made an all-star game uh, yet, although yeah. they, they will. They certainly will in the future. But Yeah, um, they, Kepler would have something to say about that, I bet. Yes, he definitely deserved to be an all-star last year. Um, but, you know, in terms of depth, they've got Jake Cave and Lamont Wade. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if a couple of guys were to go down with, with injury or, or, you know, hopefully this doesn't happen, but, but COVID, obviously, it's, it's a possibility. Um, who among the, that prospect group of Kirloff, Larnick, and Rooker, who do you think would be first called up uh, to, to take the place of, say, a Rosario or a, a, a Kepler? It's a good question. Um, 
I'm, I think Rooker would be next up. Um, I, 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 you know, Rooker's kind of Rooker's was a triple A guy already. Um, Larnick and Kirilov were double A guys. They're a step behind in that process. I think if there is a longer term solution needed in the outfield, Rooker would be the guy up. If there's a shorter term solution needed in the outfield behind all those guys, behind the caves and the wades, um, I don't think they would dig into, into Gilberto Celestino, by the way. I don't think Celestino's ready. Um, I think a longer term solution might be Rooker. A shorter term solution might be a guy like Lane Adams, mm-hmm. where if nobody had heard of Lane Adams before um, he was added to this roster, I think, and because he was a minor league free agent signed before this season and he wasn't part of the camp that was operating in Fort Myers, the major league camp that was operating in Fort Myers at least. But one of the interesting things we're going to have to see about this is in terms of adding guys to the, adding guys to the 40 and removing guys from the 40 as these uh, roster moves churn through. If you have a larger subsection of players, heaven forbid, that are unable to play, for example, um, in order to remove them from the 40, man, you have to expose them to waivers and you have to DFA them, outright them. You know, but either way, they have to be exposed to the other teams of the league. So obviously, if you have a temporary spot opening up where you have an otherwise full 40-man, so if you're adding a guy, you either need to boot somebody from that 40-man, which the Twins like their 40-man for the most part. Like, they're, I don't think, I think only a handful of spots where you're like, maybe they'd be comfortable kicking that guy off 40-man right now. Um, so you have to consider, if you're going to add a prospect, you might have to expose him to waivers when guys come back. So that's the argument against in the short, if you have a short term opening, dumping a guy like Kirilov or Larnick in there. Um, if you're, if it's in the cases of Kirilov, Larnick, Rooker, and Royce, um, those are the guys that aren't on the 40 already um, and might be needed to step in. That's where you got to be really careful because if there's a roster crunch, somebody's going to be exposed to waivers and you want to make darn sure it's not one of those guys. Yeah, well, yes, obviously. I mean, can you? Yeah. I mean, there's no way that they would expose, you know, a Royce yeah. Lewis or a Kirilov to, yeah. to waivers. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, that does present a, an interesting dilemma, and and maybe a guy like Rooker, who certainly has a lot of potential, uh, but he's already what 25, um, has has a lot of swing and miss. Yeah, I think he's like 26 almost. Is he? Yeah. Is he? yeah, has a lot of swing and miss in his game. They might feel more comfortable um, exposing him. Uh, because obviously they wouldn't, they would never expose a Lewis or a Kirilov. But uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I want to talk about Buxton. So Buxton is reporting, uh, I believe, today. Is that right? Oh uh, uh, well, he showed up in Minneapolis yesterday, and okay. he started the intake protocol yesterday. Yesterday being Sunday, because we're recording this on a Monday. Um, but. We don't know what the testing timeline on that looks like. I think all Rocco told us is that if all goes well, we hope to see him on the field with the group by midweek. That's what we know. Yeah. yeah so, so just in case Twins fans don't know, he's late showing up because he, uh, he and his wife just had uh, their second baby. And the best name ever uh, for, for Buxton's son, Blaze Jet Buxton. Uh, very appropriate. Um, <laughs> But it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I, I want in, in Brixton. Brixton is uh, Brixton doesn't look like uh, he has the speed genes of dad. He's a he's the uh, Brixton. Brixton's a uh, it looks like Brixton's got like a bigger body type than than dad does for now. 
So I wonder if there's like some, some element of like, all right, let's get the speed genes passed through here. I haven't seen Brixton run though. So maybe I'm speaking out of turn. <laughs> it, it, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if he, uh, if he uh, turns out to be a, a speedster like his dad, but, um, but Buxton is obviously to me still the, one of the most interesting uh, players on this roster for a lot of reasons. He had a great year last year before he got hurt. That's what everybody forgets. You know, all anybody yeah. wants to talk about with Buxton is the injuries, and, and that's valid to do so, of course. But, um, you know, before he got hurt, he was, you know, slugging over 500, uh, getting on base at a high clip, and obviously playing as, you know, typical gold glove uh, center field. So he was going to be right on sort of the cusp of, of making the opening day roster in terms of coming back from injury back yeah. in March. Uh, what are you hearing now about his health and, and where he's at? Full go. He's full go. There's nothing. There's nothing holding him back. I mean, he was already ready to get back, more or less get back into spring training games by the time uh, we split camp. And yeah, every everything everybody has said indicates that Buxton is 100% right now. I mean, he's been hitting. He's been, uh, he's been hitting like in the duration of quarantine. We saw a few videos of that. And um, they're, they don't have any issues with him anymore. Whenever he'll be back, he'll be good to go. 30, 30 doubles last year, man. I think he was among the major league leaders in doubles when his, uh, when his injury happened, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, like you said, slugging, slugging was through the roof. He uh, was OPSing well into the 800s, which if you're Byron Buxton, you got that defense going. Big deal. You're an elite player in that case. Like, uh, it's going to be important for the Twins to get him back, uh, especially for that defense in center field where in, limited, in a limited schedule where variance is going to matter more those defensive plays that Buxton can make that everybody else won't will be all the more important, especially since teams won't have that much distance at the end between them in terms of record at the end of the season. Like all those little swings will matter so much more now. And that's what Buck gives you. Yes, absolutely. It is a huge addition to, to me. He's the most important player offensively 100%. 100%. Uh, for that team. I mean, when he's going well, uh, it's just the, <laughs> I mean, the lineup is stacked regardless, but when you have him in the nine hole, it's just... Just completes it. it yeah, and it, it obviously it, it upgrades the defense significantly. And they were, they were, in my opinion, probably a subpar defensive team or, or at best an average defensive team. Oh, yeah, team. definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and when Buxton went out, I mean, Kepler, you know, Kepler's a, a, a better than average right fielder defensively, but I would say a below average center fielder, and I, I think that really hurt them. Um, last year uh defensively with having to having to play Kepler in center so um yeah I, having him for a full season would be absolutely huge uh all right so let's talk about what this team can do in a 60 game season so there's you mentioned variance there's obviously so much variance in the 60 game year it, it opens it up to, to pretty much any team I mean you know I I was on a podcast uh with with Russell Dorsey a week ago and um, we were talking about the, the 2011 Twins who lost 99 games. They mm-hmm. were the best team in baseball for like a five-week stretch. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. you could literally see any team, you know, make a run and make the playoffs. And a team like the Twins, if they have, you know, a, a, a slow start, if they start off, you know, 10 and 15 or, or 15 and 25 or whatever, that, that, that would be it for them. Um, and, you know, over 162 games, you, you see the cream rise to the, to the top. I just butchered that, but – uh, I think but, that's somewhat how that works. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, but it was 60 games. You just don't know. Um, so w- do you still see this team as, 
a favorite in the central or is it just going to be a complete crapshoot and it's just whoever stays healthy and and gets luckiest i think talent talks i think yeah. talent i mean it's obviously yeah it is regard no matter what we say it's a complete crapshoot but talent talks and on paper at least the twins have to be the favorite i don't know by how much of a i don't know by how much because um natural variance wise um, they, the, the variance imparted on the season, even outside of true talent level, that's going to come more into play. And more than anything else, the Twins were the deepest team by leaps and bounds. In They, they had like Dodgers level depth this year, yeah. especially on the pitching side. And they were so well stocked up for the 162 game marathon. And now that's, that doesn't matter anymore. What, what good does it do to have 12 major league ready starters when you know, only when you want to only throw five of them as often as you can, your five best ones. I mean, it might help um, if, again, heaven forbid, injury concerns rise up. But, uh, you know, in, in an optimal circumstance, that's not going to be the case. I don't know. I think the Twins do have the best chance. I also worry about Cleveland a lot more in this case. Um, I think there are reasons to worry more about Cleveland and Chicago in this case because Cleveland's got the pitching staff, man. You can never count that pitching staff out. They've got the two aces. They can crank. Bieber and Clevenger out there to impact a far higher percentage of their game. Like, you know, they're a far higher percentage of the games in it's, it, they're going to ha- they're going to be pitching very often and they're going to have a large impact on every game, which has three times more meaning than other than the games would have otherwise. Um, so that's going to be big for them. And, you know, Cleveland, like they'll drag out a random right-handed starter you haven't heard of and he'll you'll blink and all of a sudden he'll have like a 2-4 ERA through like five starts and you're like who is this dude I'm, I'm looking at you Aaron Savali um and then the the offense there is lacking and the bullpen there is also lacking especially given Oliver Perez will need to face more than one batter at a time now he can't be a loogie and uh and obviously Emmanuel Clause is gone for the year with a suspension so that's not going to help Cleveland I do worry about Chicago, too, because I think the Twins are the best bet in the division because of the baseline, but the White Sox probably have the most upside of the division because they're going to have Michael Kopech back now. Dylan Cease might not be a pumpkin again this season if he's uh, learned enough from 2019 to apply that to what he's going on. Giolito's obviously a stud. They've got some really good pieces in that bullpen with uh, Bummer and Colome and Kelvin Herrera. Like, and you saw Yoan Mankata go crazy last year and this might well be the year where like he goes supernova Aloy Jimenez is obviously gonna go supernova at some point soon uh Luis Robert I don't know what you expect from him the baseline I think is the lowest in case of the White Sox but they also have the highest upside I want baseline when I build a team but there's also more capacity for upside to impact the team's success over 60 games. I don't think you can count any of those three games out. I really do think it'll be a dogfight between those three. If I were, if I were a betting man and I can't be because I'm a league employee, but if I were, I would probably put money on the twins because I think they are, like I said, the safest bet, but who knows, man, it's 2020. It's, it's 2000. It'll be like a very 2020 thing ever for like the Tigers to win the central and for Spencer Torkelson to be league MVP. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's completely impossible to predict, but I do agree. I think in a 60 game season, having superstars, right. means even more like having that top talent means even more than maybe having good depth because you're just going to be throwing your guys out there pretty much every game. And and I do, do, I mean, do you think, do you think, Baldelli and, and really all managers around the league will 
will manage almost every every regular season game almost like it's a playoff game in some ways just because every win carries so much more significance. We might see Taylor Rogers go out there for two innings, you know, uh, multi-inning appearances much more than we would, uh, you know, over 162. You know, I mean, do, do you see games being managed significantly differently in this in this climate? I've, I put a lot of thought into this action. I mean, you, you almost have to, you really have to, I'm, I'm more curious as to how things will go in like the first five to 10 days um, where guys are still ostensibly stretching out and how that, how much that'll be functionally different from how things go. There are a lot of interesting questions to be had there. I think each game is important, but also it is a very, very dense schedule that we're expecting to see released this afternoon mm-hmm. uh, with very few off days spread out in there. So you really do have to, in my mind, you really do have to put your foot down in any close game or in any game where you're winning. I think even if you're up by like five runs, you got to get your good bullpen guys in there just to make sure you can't, you can't take anything for, you can't leave anything to chance at the same time. You also have to consider the realities of the schedule. And I wonder if you fall behind by like three or four runs, if you're just like, all right, I know this game matters, but we just have to have our guys ready for the next game. So, like, for example, I've been, I've been thinking about the question, like, say, like, Kenta Maeda gives up, like, six runs in the second day. Do you, like, take him out? Do you leave him in the game? Like, what, like, I think there's very good arguments to be made for both in the sense of, well, you want to try to win every game. But also, if you're only going to have, like, one off day every two weeks – you're, you don't want, like, seven innings out of your bullpen and then have to make roster moves and that sort of thing. Um, so I think there's a balance to be had. Um, I think all close games and any games that you're winning are going to be treated like, okay, this is game seven of the American League Championship Series. We got to go. Um, I wonder where that borderline will be between we're going to put our foot down and, okay, let's look to tomorrow. How can we best prepare for that? Because there, there's also going to be a very important element of that that I think a lot of people aren't considering when we talk about this. And what you just described is sort of what we saw in the, in the ALDS against the Yankees, like in yeah. game one, right, when they fell behind. Uh, by, they, had, they had Cody Stashak out there pitching in a, a, a one-run uh, game, uh, and then they brought in Gibson. They saved their, their good relievers for, uh, you know, games two and three. And Baldelli got heat for that. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but that's that's what we saw, right? We saw that they wanted to save their top guys for when they got that lead. Um, I, you know, it, it maybe backfired a little bit on them in in game one because it, that was a, a close game and they didn't use their top guys. But um, but that's the that's the sort of risk reward or however you want to phrase it that you have to balance as you're going through you know a, a shortened schedule is when do you use those top guys and and do you really just sort of put the pedal to the metal when you, when you get that lead. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how Baldelli and, and Falvey and Levine strategize for that. Um, all right. So last question, uh, cause I've kept you here for an hour uh, or close to an hour. Um, when we were on the pot, when you were on the podcast in February, I asked you for a win prediction and you oh, were, man. you were very gracious <laughs> to give that. And, uh, I, I think you said 90, I would have to go back and double check, but I think you said 98 and 64. Um, so, so Doe Young Park, I'm putting you, I'm putting you uh, uh, on the record here. What, what do you think? What's your, what's your prediction uh, two and a half weeks uh, before opening day two? 
I don't even know where to start handicapping this season, man. Dang. <laughs> I, know, I know. Oh, man. All right. Well, I mean, I was comfortable saying 98 wins, like, back when, back when we started. I don't even know. I don't even know what a good gauge for what to expect from a team in this season is. It's like a – oh, man. Uh, I don't know. Like, mm, well, you – okay. So here's what's going through my mind when I consider this question. I'm considering the upper-end talent in the – Starting rotation and in the lineup as compared to the starting rotations and lineups of other teams. I'm considering the schedule that's going to be played, which frankly looks kind of nice with the number of games that the uh, Twins are probably going to have against like the Pirates and against the Royals and against the Tigers, the Royals and Tigers in particular, because they're in the AL Central. But like the Tigers and uh, even like the Cubs, I think like that bullpen is kind of shaky. Um, it's certainly better than facing NL East or NL West. I'll say that. Um, I don't know, man. 40 and 20. 40, 40 and 20. Sounds reasonable. <laughs> 40 and 20. I like it. I like it. That's pretty much what I was going to say. I, but again, but they could also go like yeah, I don't know. 45 and it wouldn't surprise anybody. Be, well. Cleveland won like 41 and 19 in a stretch last year. And that was like a worse Cleveland team than this current Minnesota team. I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't think the Twins ever did better than like 40 and 20 or 41 and 19 in a 60 game stretch last year, actually. They were I, think really that's right. I, I think they might have started like 41 and 19. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, but yeah I think they, the, the, their thing was they never did worse than like 31 and 29 in a 60 game stretch. Like, they were always like at minimum good and sometimes great. Yeah, like, and they never had a losing streak. Right. And they never had a losing streak last year. Like I think it was I think it was like August before they lost like four games in a row or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. They were ridiculously consistent. Um yeah. Well, which bodes well, which bodes well cuz that's yeah. that's the worst Twins team on paper than this Twins team is especially in the starting rotation. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it will be the biggest X factor of this season. Like it's going to come down to the starters. Yeah. As it as it almost always does, right? Um, although last year, obviously, yeah. they're, they're... last year's lineup would beg to differ a bit. Yes, yes. All right, Doe. Well, this has been awesome. You're you're a great guest as always. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. Where can I mean, Twins fans obviously know uh, you and and where they can follow you. But uh, for anybody that doesn't, just in case, uh, what is your Twitter handle, Instagram, anything else that you want to uh, promote? Um, I'm the worst Gen Zer ever in that I'm awful at Instagram. So I'm just gonna say uh, I'm just gonna say Twitter Do Young Park D O H Y O U N G P A R K. And I'm starting to tweet again now and uh, not avoiding Twitter because uh, we have baseball again. And man, yeah. during the pandemic, there were some depths of oh. Twitter. Man, I didn't want I didn't want any part of that. But it's good to be able to uh, be back on Twitter again too. And uh, we're just trying to have. Um, fun with it to the extent that we can while also maintaining obviously this is a public health crisis and I worry a lot for the players and for the safety of their families and for the staffers and the coaches and everything like that but uh, we'll all try to get through this together Um, we'll try to make the most of every game that we get and we'll keep everybody in mind Joey Gallo actually just tested positive too we saw oh wow yeah so yeah, obviously a really evolving situation, but we're going to try to do the best we can for you guys, the fans, um, keeping player safety in mind, everything like that. And uh, yeah, always a fun time, Jake. Always happy to do this. Um, not like I have anything better to do right now anyways. We don't show up to the ballpark till four. So yeah, I'm always, always happy to be here. It's always good to see your face too, man. It's been too long. Hope the East Coast is treating you well out there too. 
It is. It is. And it's great to see your face as well. And uh, yeah, man, this is, this has been good and stay healthy, stay safe. And uh, hopefully we actually get a season and, and you can come on and uh, we'll talk more twins soon. Right back at you, man. All right. Thanks dope. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, Ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.